This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And I'm Nick, and I've read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 4 of the AMC series, titled Victor. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic, and by extension, any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 2, Episode 4, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com, uh, or at gmail.com, to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preachers so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Uh, no listener feedback today. Uh We'd like to hear from more of you, so as I said, feel free to tweet or email at us. Let us know what you think you, of the season going on so far. Let us know what you think of our show and kind of the new uh, summaries that I've been writing and testing out. If you think there's too much recap still or too little recap, please let us know what you think, and we'd love to hear from you. Indeed. But uh, other than that, uh, just a quick confirmation from last week's show uh, the man that tells Jesse to seek out Lara in the bar, the, the uh, La Chenille or whatever, the, the French-sounding bar that they head to, uh, the man that tells Jesse to go there is the one who is driving the white van Yes. Uh, in, in the previous episode, and he also shows up again in this episode with a uh, payday loans sign to swing around in the air outside of Denis' apartment, but... I uh, just wanted to confirm that there and uh, let you guys know that I was indeed correct and not extremely racist as I could have been. But onward with the show. We can start with the teaser here. We get uh, Tulip taken to see Victor and uh, Jesse makes it to Denise. Jesse doesn't appear to be nearly as worried about Tulip being gone as Cassidy is, but that's because he's not clued into the fact that she seems to be in some kind of trouble. Um. Yeah, so we get to meet Victor. Uh, yep. I can't remember. Did Did you say that Victor's anybody that you know? Maybe not to my knowledge. Not, he, okay. he He might be somebody from really early in the book who's non consequential. I can't really recall. Okay. I I'm, is Tulip married prior to the events of the books at any point, or is no. that something you don't want to get it? No, she's not. Okay, so this is kind of a holy. Potentially a wholly invented show thing. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's not too much about Victor in this first segment. Uh, not too much else other than Jesse and Cassidy kind of catching up and, and talking. I did like the moment where Jesse walks into the house and you see the black cars drive by. There's a few musical cues that mm-hmm. note, you know, that it's Tulip kind of driving by. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on the teaser? Uh, so oh, we, I did have one thought. Oh. The the main kind of lackey that works for Victor that yeah. kind of does the talking and picks her up. He, I just referred to him in my notes. I just have a note that just says Zadar Jr. <laughs> because he has a very similar <laughs> Robert face Zadar to Robert face. Zadar. And I was just like, how? You mean the guy with like the, the, the buzzed sides of his head? He's got like jet black. He looks like Robert longer Zadar. Hair. He's, got, okay. he's got just like a, just a big face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very rounded, yeah. And he kind of looks like a big baby, but he's not like fat. It's just a big face, yeah. And I right away I was like, oh, what awesome casting! The show does such a good job of filling those little roles with like really interesting people. Yeah, absolutely. Especially throughout season one, there were so many just like they were characters. It's a very Frank Millery kind of or uh, uh, George Miller kind of yeah yeah just really casting very interesting looking people and small roles that make them memorable regardless of how much screen time they get yeah exactly just like giving somebody a somebody a cool look yeah that that you're like that guy's unique yeah instead of just filling your your show with like pretty people (laughs) yeah so that you're not just like oh there's a sea of like 
chiseled features. Or naked white women yeah. in, the, in the stylings of Game of Thrones and shows yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I think that's it for the teaser. <coughs> Heading into Act 1, we open where we left off with Eugene meeting Hitler. Uh, Eugene's cell block appears to be filled with seemingly bad or terrible people for the most part. Uh, there's a main bully named Tyler, of course. Uh, and he seems to be the main bully, despite the fact that Hitler is on that same cell block. Yeah, hell's number one bully. <laughs> Dude named Tyler with Tyler. double popped collars. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, the hell projectors start back up and Eugene doesn't make it back to his in time. So he goes in to see Hitler's and we see a bit of Hitler's worst memory, which is when he met a female friend at a cafe uh, we don't really get to see where the memory goes because no. it gets interrupted by another failure. Uh, yeah, Tyler's played by this guy. I think his name is like Kevin Prentice or something like that. But he was in um, 13 Reasons Why, which is a Netflix television show. Did he also play a bully? He plays a bullyish guy and, and it's kind of, he's getting typecast a bit because these are like the two main roles that I've seen him in. But he plays the part really well. He's like that little... That little shitty redhead kid who's in Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> yeah. And he was in like the Geico ads. <laughs> yep. And he's in season five of American Horror Story, which I'm currently <laughs> watching as well. It's and good. he's he's the same character across <laughs> all works. Just a really in. shitty, deplorable person. Yeah, he's gonna play that role until probably well into like his teenage years. <laughs> he's great at it. He's really every but every time I see him now I just start laughing like there's that kid. Yep. He's just gonna That's suck. Him. Yeah. Uh so what did you think about the, the dynamic here? We get we do get Tyler calling Eugene's face a giant sphincter, so we're actually getting to arse face or ass face in this right in this case. So the dynamic in hell. We've got, you know, Eugene breaking up a little Tyler being a dick towards the I believe Hitler calls her a gypsy woman. Yeah. Uh Hitler standing up to Tyler. Things seem kind of weird. Did you have any feelings about it one way or another? Yes. I uh, Well, my note, my only note for the scene, I've been taking really sparse notes, which I realize sometimes is not helpful. I had, <laughs> I had to break up the viewing of this episode into two portions, and I, went, I was looking at my notes, and I was like, what did I mean by that? And I had to actually rewind and flesh them out a bit. Yeah. Uh, but my note for the scene just said, still not sure about this Hitler jazz. Yeah. Um, so I feel I feel a little bad. I'll let you in on a little inside baseball. I cut a little bit out of the Hitler talk that we had last week. Because okay. we went a little long on, on talking about uh, Noah Taylor's previous turn as Hitler. Okay. But it was very much kind of... We were we seemed to be headed down the similar path of what you got out of that movie in terms of like the... If Hitler had been given more of a chance with his art, then would World War Two have happened the way it did? And uh, and so that I, that absolutely seems to kind of be where we're headed in this cafe yeah, scene. Yeah, clearly in his scene, some something bad's going to happen to cause him to uh, not pursue, or, or they're going to laugh him off, and he's just going to give up or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the art uh, art gallery owners going to just be like what is this garbage kind of thing yeah the casting of noah taylor is already sort of meta and it feels like it's kind of just like you said heading down the same path yeah i'm still not particularly comfortable with the show putting adolf hitler in the position that i should feel sympathy toward him or at least maybe not sympathy but so much as be like oh he's standing up for somebody like maybe that hitler's changed yeah and i Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit more of a square than I thought, but <laughs> for some reason it just doesn't really sit well with me. It feels and gross. I want to wait till the season's over because I, f- after a later scene in this episode, I was kind of like, I think maybe I see why they're doing what they're doing. We'll get into that when we talk about that scene, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm. It, it's just like I said, it feels like you can count on one hand the number of things you're not really necessarily allowed to joke about <laughs> or you have to be a very specific type of person yeah. in a very specific type of story. And maybe this hits that criteria for these guys and for some people. I'm, just, I'm dying to hear somebody else's thoughts on this sort of thing. Yeah. And the one part that actually made me laugh, because the rest has just kind of left me sort of cringing or or kind of going, well... Yeah. And part of it because I'm not, I'm just... I, I don't really care yet about the storyline. I just, it's not, every time it cuts to hell, I'm like, Ugh. 
It just feels like it's just dead weight right now. And maybe that'll change. But the part that did make me laugh is when he's in the cafe and the Jewish guy bumps into his arm and he just stares <laughs> yeah. stares at him. And it's this hilarious moment of just this overly long stare. And he's like, oh, it's okay. And <laughs> yeah. Like you're waiting for him to go berserk and he doesn't. That part actually made me laugh. But I was like, this is even worse that I'm laughing at this part. Like the fact that that made me laugh. I was like, oh, Rogan yep. and Goldberg douchebags. <laughs> it, it was just, it felt like kind of an Edgar Wright kind of joke yeah. where and it even had like the music bed underneath it kind of creep in. And it felt very Edgar Wright to me. It felt like something out of hot fuzz. Like when the old lady will say something about murdering someone and then it like flips on its head and she actually meant something else. Yeah. When they're like, when she's playing the crossword, you know what I'm yep. talking about at the yep. beginning of hot fuzz. It's so funny. Same kind of thing. Anyway, Except not with Hitler. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm I'm. I want to know what why why they're doing it, and I, I figure they've got to be building towards something. They haven't they haven't wasted any characters in the show, and they haven't done things without a very clear reason as to why. Yeah. So, there's got to be something coming. That, yeah. That's gonna that's gonna make it all make sense, and I think I kind of got a glimmer of something at the end of this episode. I suddenly was like, uh, maybe. Yeah. So, anyway. I will say I, it was interesting to me to see all the different kinds of people that were in hell, the kind of wide variety of ages, different, uh, you know, nationalities and uh, gender. Like it's all it's all kind of all over the board. It's not it, it, it brings it brings to light the idea that it's not just like skinheads and shit down there. You yeah. know what I mean? Like everyday people are in hell. Yeah. Which and then, is scary. Well, and on top of that, the, and like the idea that there's also like you see some fashion differences, even though everybody's in jumpsuits. You see this woman who has like very 50s diner looking glasses on with like a little kind of like neckerchief sort of thing and seeing it it made me very curious as to when did all of these people get here and why are they here and like it they all feel very different and have different backgrounds and i i like that the show is kind of evoking that or making me realize that by just little small variations in costume, essentially. Like, yeah. I thought that was really cool. No, it is cool. It's a, it's a good to give you those kind of contextual clues as to these these people have been here X amount of years. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think that's all for Act One for now. Uh, Act Two, we've got Victor not looking for tears from Tulip, only some kind of answer as to why she did what she did. Uh, why she left him essentially or left his people or team uh, Cassidy and Jesse talk about Tulip and Lara until they notice that the man who played fake God in the last season is apparently a local New Orleans actor uh, the driver from last week as I mentioned earlier gets out of a white van at Denise place and then Eugene gets a meeting with the superintendent of hell uh, just as the tech guy in hell thinks a full reset may be in order but he smirks as Eugene walks out of the office or out of, out of the door. Uh, so a lot to unpack there. Uh, Victor and Tulip really, we can kind of save it till the end of the episode. Cause I feel like that's where most of what we really need to talk about comes out. Yeah. I will say, do you, have you seen the actor playing Victor in anything else? He is so crazy familiar. His I, name, I, I know I've seen him in stuff. His name is Paul Ben Victor. He's been in millions of things, but I just wanted to say that the only thing that I can ever remember him from is one of the like Three Stooges biopics that got produced for TV like 15 years ago. He played Mo Howard yep. in it, and uh, and and that was you know that's where I recognize him from. Yeah, he's uh, oh yeah. <laughs> he's in daredevil the 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 movie yep the yeah ben affleck movie yeah i recognize it from that uh which is a bummer i've seen that movie a few times though unfortunately um yeah he's definitely one of those fa- oh he's in true detective at some point yeah yeah he's one definitely one of those faces he's in all kinds he always of plays stuff like, like a, some sort of mob heavy or something yeah uh the katrina infomercial <laughs> what did you think about that man uh, that was good. <laughs> the Frankie Muniz bit. Yeah, I saw Frankie Muniz's name in the t- in the in the credits, and I almost wish I didn't because seeing him pop up right then. I was, agree, a hundred percent. It yeah. would have just been like, wow, Frankie Muniz, where have you been? Well, the amazing, the the most hilarious part of it is like, yeah, I when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, that 
is appropriate that Frankie Muniz would be in Preacher. It's yeah. going to work. And then when he popped up in the infomercial, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then when he says, I'm Frankie Muniz, I started laughing because I was like, that's really good. <laughs> but the I'm Mark Harlick <laughs> made me laugh so hard, even harder. Okay. Mark Harlick playing Mark Harlick. <laughs> yeah, in... as if that's like as, on the same level as Frankie Muniz. <laughs> just kill me. Mark Harlick is in an episode of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And he plays Milos, a tennis instructor and tennis shop owner. And my brother and I are Seinfeld nuts. Yep. And we have we quote Milos so many times. And, and for some reason, just because we both have weird attention to detail when it comes to like actors and stuff like that we but just both picked up on the fact that this guy named mark harlick played milos yeah so whenever he pops up in anything we both like exclaim there's mark harlick where we just start quoting milos like he was in so heroes the show heroes Heroes season one is awesome and the rest of it is just trash but mark harlick starts popping up in season two mm-hmm. and we were watching season two while it was airing for a while and as soon as he showed up we both like exclaimed and <laughs> gojo like turned like oh, who, would who? <laughs> no one cares about this person except you guys so I wish he was watching this show too because he would have just died laughing at yeah. like way more than Frankie Muniz the same way I did. It's yeah. really really funny. Uh Mark Harlick was in Election, wasn't he? With yes. with the yep. Alexander he's Payne Matthew, film. He's yeah. like his friend. He's like his best friend. So I mean this is a fairly, you know. He's a character writer who's been around. Yeah. yeah. But but <laughs> to see him playing himself in Preacher and, playing and, himself playing God. <laughs> Well, and and the like the white beard and hair is like part of his look. They're acting like it's part of his normal wear because he has it in that and then he has it again in his God audition tape. Yeah. So they're kind of almost <laughs> acting like either he specializes in this role and he carries those prosthetics around or that's his real hair, <laughs> yeah. even though it looks really obviously <laughs> fake. Like everything about that is so funny. Yeah, uh, it, it, I, I was I was very happy to see that he he was back and even happier to see that he's playing himself and yeah in the universe, which which is pretty good. Uh, it's, it's funny. He just like it's a good it's a good get for the show. It's a good it's not a get like it's like, wow, we landed Mark Harlick, but it's it's just a really clever idea. Yeah. It's the perfect level of celebrity where like it makes me wonder whether it's Seth Rogen or Evan Goldberg. Then like, let's get Mark Harlick, you know, like it makes me feel like one of them is like, I like that dude in that thing. <laughs> right. They could be like, yeah, I loved election. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that guy. <laughs> or or he may have just auditioned for the show and they came up with this idea later. Like, how about he just yeah. plays himself and yeah. they probably like th- agreed that that's hilarious because who cares? <laughs> It's, uh, it's great it is it's fantastic um and as for the rest of act two i think the only other major thing was the little bit from hell uh the smile that comes on the tech guy's face did that make you make you think a little bit more about what i had said last week yeah of somebody i think trying you to i get... think you might really really be onto something there that... well because there's another line later on yes with the superintendent when they're in the office we can bring it up right now just because it makes more sense to Let's talk about it. it now but uh she's on the phone at the start of that scene talking about somebody has escaped yes and they can't find them yep and i was like is that de blanc like who 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 might that be if it if it really does matter and mean something to I think it does it could it could go either way really but this show tends to be very purposeful with with what they're doing and showing there there aren't really any throwaway plot lines yeah so uh, to to me it makes me feel like DeBlanc is out there pulling strings doing something to try and he might just be trying to get out and and maybe he is trying to keep his promise but i'm sure he doesn't want to be there but the way that the tech guy smiles it's almost like the tech guy's in on it too yeah so he's an inside uh operator yeah yeah i I, that that idea that hell has like a has like an it guy is really funny yeah like that was cracking me up when she's like what's it gonna take how long is it gonna take he's like oh i don't know and like looking at it i was like oh man hell probably has plumbers and electricians too it's really it's it's just funny like why i guess in a way why wouldn't it need people to keep things up and running and i do like the uh we're over capacity we're understaffed kind of thing i was like yeah under or not enough money and (laughs) we're underfunded yeah exactly (laughs) um the i guess the one thing that i could start connecting the dots back to the idea that genesis in the comics was and I, maybe this is spoiling a little bit of the future if this is really where they're going to go with it but i feel like we kind of have strayed and i don't know why they would go back to it the idea that genesis is born out of an angel and a demon yeah 
And once again, back to this thing that I cannot drop that you've dismissed several times, the idea that Fiori and DeBlanc are the parents of Genesis. That maybe DeBlanc knows the guy in hell because he's a demon. He was a demon. Yeah. That kind of thing. I'm connecting dots that maybe don't need to be connected at all, but I, I, I feel like there there could be something there. Yeah, it's I would just, be fine with that theory. It just DeBlanc is clearly the more uh leaderly of the two especially in the way that like heaven works like he knows about like how the phone to heaven works and unless unless one of them say one of them is that say de blanc is the the demon and fior is the angel uh and their punishment when they were caught was to be the eternal guardians of this thing maybe that's why he sings to it uh why he is because he's one of the parents instead of just the keeper yeah that may be true. That could come around and, and be true, but uh, it just it doesn't fit as cleanly as I would think it would. Well, um, the, the only other thing that you're saying with with the Blanc being the more informed of the two is the idea. I think you've talked about how the uh, the angels are very debaucherous, but they also seem to be kind of. Um, weren't you talking about them being fairly aloof and like just kind of like they didn't? I don't know if careless the is book. the right word. Yeah, in the book, like. Yeah, they're not stupid. Yeah. They're, they're just they're, they're just kind of like guys at work. You know okay. what I mean? And they don't really they don't really give a shit about anything until like things go wrong. And then all of a sudden they're like they're like, "Oh shit, God's going to be so mad. We have to fix this." And that's the thing too is like the the characterization of God is very like Old Testament God. Like he yeah. I think when the angel and the demon are caught, they're like flayed to death like it like brutalized because they have both uh breached this you know they've both done something that is just unspeakable and i don't know that they're both punished by their own parties or maybe as together like god just threw them both into a yeah to a blender basically but yeah they're things don't go well in the book for angels that stray from god and so that's why in the show, like if if they're like slap on the wrist is oh you just have to babysit this thing forever. It doesn't quite feel, doesn't feel like right. it's lining up with the right. Unless God's like All a right. slouch, or unless he literally like the moment this thing was born, he bounced. He's like, you know what, you guys want to? It's all going to hell. I don't care. Like, yeah, that could be it. And then maybe they're like, well, we'll just keep an eye on it. Maybe but, that's the case. But I, I yeah, I not to lead us too far. No, down I think that it's an interesting hole, theory. It just uh. Like the DeBlanc trying to break out of hell fits more cleanly. Yeah. This yeah. this feels like it's it's reaching a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. I would not be surprised if that if that turned out to be the truth. I'm also like from a storytelling point, I'm also immensely satisfied with where we left Fior because I just loved that that hanging yeah. question. Because there have to be consequences in the show at some point. Mm-hmm. Something has to matter. And it feels kinda like The the deaths of, of uh, Anvil, like the collective death of Anvil, yeah. it doesn't really bother me because I feel like it made sense in the show. It pretty much happens in the book. And the way that the characters react to it seems appropriate. It kind of gives them a moment of pause, but Jesse's clearly going further and further down the rabbit hole here with finding God, and it's like pulling him out of the real world. So we have a character motivation there. Cassidy doesn't care. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's sad. And then they're like, oh, well, because he knows. He's been around for 100 years or whatever. Like, he knows He knows bad shit happens. And Tulip is, she's sad and she mourns for her uncle, but other than that, she doesn't really care. Because yeah. Anvil was, obviously, we saw kind of a shit, shitty town. But I think something's got to happen eventually that has some real weight to it. Where we realize permanence. That there are consequences and like when people die, it's, it's bad. And I think the closest thing we've had is Eugene. And even now his situation doesn't seem like what I imagine being in hell is like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, he's, well, he's in the break room right now. Well, and the thing is about Eugene and this is leaking ahead a little bit is that I could maybe see it meaning something in that respect because obviously you know it's it if the consequence was that jesse feels bad that eugene got sent to hell and he can't get him out that's one thing but i feel like jesse didn't dwell on it enough for that to be the final message right whereas like in that final scene with eugene here 
in this episode where he decides to beat up on Hitler in order to abide by the expectations of hell. If it, if, if hell really takes the good of Eugene and brings him down to the level of the people in hell and then Jesse learns of that somehow, maybe that is where that real, maybe that will drive home the consequences to Jesse. Yeah. So you, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth where I was going to go with this. (laughs) The, Something about the idea. Do you want to talk about this now? Sure. Yeah. Okay, right in. Should we talk about this now? <laughs> the idea that Eugene would feel bad for Hitler or would kind of sympathize with Hitler or for Hit would. It feels like that's the purpose. That's the function of Hitler. The idea that Eugene is such a good and pure soul that he can feel bad for Hitler is remarkable. And we've seen on his little personal hell that he, he like went out of his way to shoot his own face off because yeah. he, I don't know if he, if he tried to kill himself and he failed, if like that was his way out or almost like uh he's going to disfigure himself. It, it, it seemed like to, to me, it seemed like he tried to kill himself and it, like it like misfired on him, yeah. which ended up, ended up only uh, disfiguring him rather right. than actually killing himself. But he's such like a good kid, obviously. And, and like the, 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 headmistress of hell or whatever she is even comments on that she's like yeah. you seem like a good kid and you need to cut it out otherwise i'm gonna throw you down the hole kind of thing yeah so, so th- that seems to be the if that's what hitler's doing there is because hitler is like you know i could see them sitting in the writer's room and be like well how can we make eugene like the most just nicest guy who should you feel bad for in hell how about hitler oh, and they <laughs> laugh and then and then they move on like that's it and they write it on the whiteboard and there's like other names on there and that's <laughs> your Seth Rogen laugh I don't even know if that's what you intend it to be but it basically sounds exactly like Seth Rogen I can do it better but I'm not gonna right now I was right. I've listened to so much Preacher Insider podcast that I like have it down well that'll be in an upcoming episode that's good but uh so I think that 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 that's why it seems like an interesting sounding board or check for Eugene at the very least. But even taking it that further step of like, if if we do see Eugene, like I don't really foresee Eugene being able to keep up the guise of being a terrible person. Right. Well, but if oh, he's doing so it out of necessity, you know, that's the thing. So Eugene, or, or I'm going to call him Arseface for the books because he doesn't. He declares himself Arseface. This is the first time we've really seen him do something selfish. Aside from, and even the act of killing himself seemed almost like he did it to spare everyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he doesn't be like, oh God, I'm not going to get out of this. And he seems like he almost does it to like just save face. I don't know. But this is the first time we saw him make a choice to be like, I'm just going to go along with it and like start start beating up on Hitler. <laughs> and th- it seems to make sense now. Like the pieces seem to have kind of aligned. But when Hitler's getting beat on and he's looking up at, at him, you know, my my initial instinct as a viewer was to feel a little bad, and I like made the conscious decision. I was like, "No, that's Hitler! <laughs> Kick the shit out of him!" But Eugene clearly believes in like, I mean, of, of anyone who can understand the value of like a second chance, it's him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So seeing the him kind of wrestle with that decision was was really satisfying. But yeah, I think that this is my theory now is that that's that's why we are where we are with Eugene, and maybe that would lend me a little more patience with his plot line. Cause I, if right now it seems like he's not going to undergo any character change and maybe that's not the case now that, you know, now that this episode happened, I feel like, Oh, we were just going to see poor Eugene trapped in hell. And you, the Eugene that they've made is so likable. Yeah. You, they make me care about him against the comics that if they're going to turn him into the comic Eugene, I'm going to be like, Oh man, <laughs> take, you made him and I'm going to take him away. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Cause what ends up happening even further in the comics with Arseface is is even more satire and I feel like Rogan and Goldberg are just like they're just rubbing Chomping their palms the together just excited to get yeah. there with him interesting because it w- a lot of the stuff they've been making fun of in the show already is going to be perfect through Arseface yeah so we'll see alright uh, on to act three we get Jesse and Cassidy tracking down fake God's management uh, but he hasn't seen Mark Harlick his name is Teddy Gunth Uh, He hasn't seen Mark Harlick since he got the job to play Fake God. He does give Jesse the audition tape, though, and uh, Eugene learns that Hal is overpopulated, underfunded, poorly maintained, as we said. Um, Tulip tries to make up with her old friends and co-workers at Victor's house, but they all give her the cold shoulder, including Victor's daughter, Ellie, who spits in her face and hopes that her father kills 
Tulip. So, uh, Teddy Gunth. Did you like Teddy Gunth as the as the uh, the talent management guy? Is he a real guy? I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I don't think he's. I don't think Teddy Gunth is playing Teddy Gunth. That'd but be I can really funny. Check, I can double check. Probably that, not. <laughs> he's, he's Mark Harlick's actual agent. <laughs> here's here's the thing. So, right. did you not want to tear into Teddy Gunth if he's a real? Is that why you're asking? No, I'm just curious because <laughs> on the one hand, it, I would really enjoy that. And on the other hand, it would continue to uh, expand upon my problem with this scene. No, yeah, he's not. No. Okay. I'm a little bummed out now. This is a, <laughs> No, and I think I know where you're headed in terms of this is maybe the most metatextual this yes. show has ever been. And it there's there's a great danger when you do stuff like this. Yeah. And if you if you fill your show... With too many pop culture references that are that are timely, you date it it's immediately. Dated, you yeah. put you put an expiration date on the relevancy of your scene. Now, that's bad if you do it throughout your show. If you do it throughout an episode or even a scene, it's like this. It's just too much. And I was kind of like rolling my eyes. Like when he says Game of Thrones, I was kind of like, I think I probably smirked because and oh, and the I'll, I'll get it right up front. The only reason this scene works is because of Joe Gilgan. Oh, yeah. Once again, <laughs> he he's the it. he is the only reason. <laughs> he just scoops it up and he's like we're getting out of this in like a burning building. He, <laughs> he throws the scene over his shoulders and he fireman carries it out. When he said Game of Thrones, I kind of smirked cuz he makes it good. And then the music kicked in and I was like, "Oh, this is dumb now. We've gone and we've crossed over to Dumbland." And yeah. it just was it was a little too much and the the reason I can't I'm struggling internally with being critical of this is because the book is filled with a lot of stuff like this. Yeah. However, uh, most of the references in the book are things like Elvis and John Wayne, and things that Jesse Custer would have grown up idolizing, and like old like country music and rockabilly music, and just like old kind of uh, artifacts of Americana. Like it's it's there's not a lot of relevant stuff, and the stuff that is relevant that's mentioned in it is it's not ever really tied to Jesse. It's tied to another character. Yeah. And it's done in a way that's clearly making fun of the culture surrounding these things. So like they talk a lot about like punk music and they're clearly like making fun of it. Like I don't think Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon were fans necessarily, (laughs) or if, if they were, uh, they, they were really (laughs) (laughs) self-aware. So I, I wish I could get a little bit more into it. Uh, but I'll hold off for now. So anyway, it, it's not that Preacher isn't without precedent in doing this kind of thing, but yeah. it just didn't feel quite right. The part that did make me laugh was them going back and forth on the terms. Yeah. Like, like the Cassie didn't, didn't just agree. He actually didn't want to cave on like the first class. Like, yeah. He was like, no, that's outrageous. Even, <laughs> even, it's all, it's all fake, but yeah. Cassidy was yeah. really, for some reason he's really play. committed to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, even Dinklage flies business like that. That really got me. And he's like, really? He's like, no one's made of money. Come on. It was so good. Once again, Joe Gilgan, he just, he dominates. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. I, I enjoyed the scene, but mostly because of Joe Gilgan, because he, he just... And the guy who plays Teddy Gunth was very funny, yeah. and I like that I like that he brought this attitude to it, but it was just some of the dialogue, I was like, I think it may have just been a little bit too much for me. And it, and it, it may work for... Other people may love it, and uh, Rogan and Goldberg, I'm sure they think it's really funny, and they, they may love Game of Thrones, and they may think it's stupid, so they might have thought it was the perfect example. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it, I think it's just so fresh, because like, thinking about things like John Wayne and, and, uh, and Elvis, those are things that um, maybe kids nowadays are just getting to the point where it's like not really something that they know they know but they still will hear elvis they, yeah, they're I'm going not... to see john wayne so the idea that like that it is game of thrones on the level of elvis and john wayne no will it ever be probably not but it's like it, it it's so culturally relevant right now and so in the zeitgeist that there's a chance that like it could still be one of those things where you're like, I've never seen Game of Thrones, but I get that it would be a big project that a, that a that a management per like a manager or yeah. a, an agent would be that. I understand it completely, and yeah. I, I get it. Just feels like low hanging fruit. Yeah, it felt no. like this is the easiest way we can communicate this joke, and that's fine. Like that kind of economy of joke telling, if if that's the quickest way, I do get it. But 
I I feel like in a way I'm kind of putting. So like they make a game, they make Game of Thrones references in uh, Parks and Recreation, yeah. and it works splendidly yeah. because it feels like it's one line. I remember one episode where they make fun of the, Tom is making fun of uh, Ben. He's like, "Why are you sad, man? Did they cancel Game of Thrones?" And Ben's like, "No, it's not that." And they would never cancel Game of Thrones. It's a crossover <laughs> hit. Like, and then he starts to get into it, and then he stops himself because he realizes they're making fun of him. Yeah, and it works. And you know, yeah. like, but it's a comedy, and Preacher is in its own way kind of a comedy. But I feel like I kind of put it even the show up on a pedestal a little bit higher. Yeah. And even though there's jokes about giant shit plants blowing up and killing towns, like there's <laughs> something a little more refined about how artfully it's told. Yeah. And maybe I just need to watch it again and I'll like the scene a lot better. Cause it is really funny. Like I said, the banter between Teddy and uh, Cassidy is really funny. And I like that Jesse is generally 99.9% of the time in the show. He is the one who will take charge and run things and do it his way. And with Cassidy, he knows this is not in my skill set. I'm going to defer to this guy because he yeah. just he just nods. And dude, Jesse he, probably he, doesn't. He has that look on his face of I can't really believe this is working, but he knows what he's talking. And Jesse about probably right doesn't now. even know what Game of Thrones is, yeah. but he's like, this is why he leaves it to his betters in this instance, and he doesn't have to use the word when he has Cassidy, who has all the other words <laughs> to just do do his damage. Yeah. So there's so much about the scene that worked really well, but something about that one reference kind of stuck in my craw, and I was like. I, I feel like I would feel better about it personally without the musical. The cue. music is what it, really put it, it over really the top. It really drives it over the edge. Yeah, but and I was like, now it's it turned into a Tex Avery cartoon. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's just a little bit, a little bit much. Yeah, but uh, so much of the other stuff regarding, like I said, the negotiation of of his rate and everything was very funny, uh-huh. and, and I just like, I love watching Cassidy get into these kind of situations and just like step aside. <laughs> I got this. Yep, absolutely. Um, as for the rest of act three, uh, we touched on the Eugene stuff already, but Tulip, uh, Tulip walking around the, the, uh, complex and basically like trying to connect with these people again or reminisce with them, uh, felt pretty damn sad to me, even without like any real context to it. Uh, Yeah. Just like this idea that you're walking around your old haunt and completely unable to, relate to these people that you once saw every day it seemed very uh it just seemed very somber and something obviously that's what they meant and to drive it home with the point where victor's victor's daughter wants her father to kill tulip uh did did you get anything out of that like did it 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 definitely drove home that idea that it's a it's it's a fraternity in yeah. its own way. It's it's a it's a brotherhood to be in this kind of league of criminals. Yeah. And it's it's kind of its own family. Even when the uh what's the guy's name? What's the torture guy's name? Pete or something? Uh I think Pat. Pat. Even when he pokes his head and he's talking to them and he says, Hey Tulip and she's like, Hey Pat and yeah. it's just kind of funny because you're like, if Victor gives the word, that guy will cut her into <laughs> Uh, Ritz cracker sized pieces and dump her into a river. But yeah, yeah, there's this weird level of like kind of friendship. And yeah, watching even amongst like the lowest of the low, Tulip doesn't have a friend. Yeah. It was like pretty telling that like she's not in a great place right now. And I thought that was pretty good. But it definitely began to rouse my suspicions of like what the nature of her relationship was with Victor because once she went to the daughter and I was like, it it went so deep that it affected the child yes. that would normally. And I was like, okay, there's like one of two things. I'm like, yeah. either Tulip was in a relationship with this guy, or I haven't thought of the second option yet. <laughs> it just like seemed very strange. And I'm like, or she's been she's been a fixture there forever, or she's like his adopted daughter or something weird. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But it definitely like cut down to the family level pretty much. And I was like, this it was good. I liked it. And yeah. and here this is the story. Uh, by the end of this episode, this is the story I care the least about. I feel like yeah. it's taking up a lot of time. And yeah. the the twist of it, I was like... <sighs> and I, I, I just feel like there's better things for the show to be doing. And it's not... I'm not trying to uh, dismiss Tulip as a character because I think she's awesome. But it's just... Uh, I'm way more interested in what's going on with God. And it's partially because that's more in line with the book, but it's also partially because I think they're just doing it so well. Yeah. Like it's such a riveting mystery to me and the atmosphere of it is so cool. 
Yeah. And it's so uh, being on the trail of this is really fun. And I really liking these like exotic uh, location of New Orleans. And now I'm kind of thinking the whole season is pretty much going to be New Orleans, which I is which is OK. There was also maybe some news. I haven't read through it yet, but it looks like paperwork's been filed to film season three in New Orleans as well, at least partially. That's OK, so, but I, I would rather we need to keep moving get back because I feel like time is very precious with this show. Yeah, I, I'm I'm worried about the day when when people stop tuning in and they're like, listen, we just can't do it anymore. And AMC seems like the kind of network where they would be willing to throw something a little more slack just to help it help send it off. Yeah, because they'll look further down the line at like Blu-ray sales and say, like, oh, can we sell the complete collection in a cool collector? Breaking thing? Bad is the perfect because those ratings weren't great until like season four right. essentially so and and they seem to be a network that has that kind of stuff in mind yeah like even hell on wheels like was not <laughs> like, a, like three or was four not a, yeah it was not a blockbuster there's a show, show called turn that i haven't watched but my brother and sister-in-law have watched like all three or four of the seasons that there are of that show mm-hmm Oh, it's the George Wa- the Washington one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds about really the, cool. Too. It does sound yep. really cool. Yep. I've never seen a minute Jamie, of it. Jamie Bell's the star of that, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, it's a great idea, and uh, they seem to be a network that kind of stands behind their properties and yeah. gives them the the due time they need until finally they have to pull except the plug. For, except for one. Yeah. Well, when the government tells them not to anymore, <laughs> then they'll stop a show. Pour one out for Rubicon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and, I I agree with everything you said. So. It, I like Tulip a lot. I think Ruth Neg is amazing. Uh, and I, I am interested in hearing more about her. It just doesn't... It's not the most compelling thing on the plate right now. And I think it's kind of the least. And the more information that is being... The more light that's being shed on it, the less exciting it is. Like, these answers are not satisfying. Well, and I think... I think uh, To me, it feels like we really haven't even gotten anywhere near, like, an actual answer yet. That's true, too. It was mostly too. just like a... Like a revelation of the issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and, like, and then, so I was watching the episode and, and as it was nearing the last, I just happened to tap my screen. I was watching the last few minutes on my iPad and I saw the, the little uh, slider at the bottom and showed me there was like 90 seconds left in the episode. I was like, what? Yeah. And it was like in the middle of Jesse brawling with, uh, t- uh, I already forgot his name again. Uh, Victor. Pat. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was in the middle of that scene and I was like, it's almost over. I'm like, what the shit? Is yeah. it going to stop mid-fight? And I was like, ugh. Like, I was, I'm kind of exhausted by the... This just felt, This was my least favorite episode of the series, actually. Uh, up, up front. Mm. Uh, it just felt like a lot of nothing. Interesting. And some yeah. of it was really good. And, and the fact that this is probably my least favorite, it's still a really good show and it's still a really good episode. Yeah. But it just like felt like the, the least amount of actual progress i get that i was thinking about that yesterday when to me it felt it feels like a lot of table setting this, we, yeah and this is the first one where i kind of left it not necessarily super excited for next week like i wanted to watch it immediately obviously i was like Ugh, i just want to watch the next one but it's only because i wanted to erase like this one i wanted yeah. to have this one have some sort of payoff you want to wash, wash yeah, the taste whereas out of your mouth. with previous episodes i could not wait to watch the next one yeah so that's fair uh, act four, Jesse and Cassidy see Mark Harlick's audition tape where he is shot to get him to heaven. Uh, Jesse wonders why uh, New Orleans is central to so many things in their story, and Tulip threatens to shoot Victor in the head, but gets knocked out instead. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, the audition tape is a great, it's like most of that act. Yes. What did you think about that? Oh, that like, was awesome. It, it, it felt like a pretty interesting way to kind of convey and like pull you in. It's actually really, really well acted. Yeah. Like Mark Harlech acting as an actor acting is very good, <laughs> which is really hard to do. Yeah. And one of my uh, favorite reviews for a movie was uh, for Waiting for Guffman. Have you seen Waiting for Guffman? A long time ago. Okay. Christopher Guest is a genius, mm-hmm. by the way. He can do anything, and he should be in the show at some point because he's amazing. <laughs> but Waiting for Guffman is so hysterical, and I read a review once for it that said it takes incredibly talented actors to play incredibly untalented actors. Like, to to be to make acting look bad, you have to be a very gifted actor. Yeah. And when, you're, when you are in that, in that level of, of kind of... Oh, self-awareness where you have to play somebody who's auditioning you have to essentially like do two performances almost mm-hmm. on top of each other and it's like it's almost like in the kiss kiss bang bang scene and robert Downey jr stumbles into the audition room yeah which is so good <laughs> and like the, the, and it's a very 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 slippery slope when you start 
when you start making movies and TV shows about movies and TV shows, you're flirting with a line of of just uh, uh, pretentiousness, which yeah. is a word I hate to use, but it's it's what you're potentially dealing with. You can't. You just have to be very careful, mm-hmm. which is why Day for Night is so good. It's the, it's the like oh, it's Night. like getting dangerously close to like an Aaron Sorkin level of like nostalgic, yes. which can work, <laughs> but it's so hard. Yeah, it's so 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 hard. So. When the scene started, I was like, this could be funny watching him like do his read. And then <laughs> even down to the detail of him starting it and then going, I'm sorry, I'm, can, I, can I please have another stab? And they're like, sure. And it's like these, the idea that these angels on the other side of the camera are actually like, yeah, please go ahead when you're yeah. ready. And they're actually auditioning earth actors to play. Like, they're like, we need somebody to be God. What do we do? Let's go audition some actors. <laughs> It was just great, and Mark Harlick is very, very, very good. Oh, and even the like he, the moment where he takes to wipe the tears away. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's great, away. and he he's very good. Like he really sells it, and you can see Jesse. I mean, Jesse's like a little kid watching a western. He's like almost nose on the glass. He's all up in it, yep. just absorbing it. And you can see Cassidy in the background, kind of like he's obviously preoccupied, worrying about Tulip. But, yeah, which is in his opinion what Jesse should be doing, yeah. which is very interesting. But the uh, the performance from Mark Harlick is great, and, and the some, fact that he just that the the hand with the gun is like in front of the camera lens is so funny. Yeah. It's almost like a video game point of view, <laughs> like you just changed weapons and yep. this hand it just cracked me up. I was like, that's a funny way to do that. <laughs> well, and something that just kind of struck me is the idea that he gets shot, finds out that he's going to heaven, but then continues to proceed with the job that he he's was committed. Up he's to committed do. to his craft. Yeah. <laughs> That's just that's phenomenal. It is. It's great. He's the man is a consummate professional. He's got to fulfill. He's got to fill his gig, even though he has a meltdown at the end of it. But it's funny because when we watched it in season one, we were like, "That's that's real world actor Mark Harlick playing an angel." Yep. But no, that's Mark Harlick (laughs) playing playing Mark Mark Harlick Harlick getting murdered to play an angel. (laughs) It's really good. It's really, really, really good. It's pretty good. That that's operating on on several levels of thinking at once. And it's which do, is, it's done very well. The guys the guys pulled off great. And I love that Jesse right away is like makes sense. They got to get him to heaven. He can't just fly him up there. <laughs> yeah. You got to waste him. Yep. <laughs> Congratulations, you've got the part. Just blow him away. The and then the other thing that Jesse notes of like the idea that they needed somebody to play God in. Why were they doing that search in New Orleans, per se? And also, who were those people? Were they, like, contacted by God after he left? There's a lot of mechanics to this scene, a lot of questions that this raises about, like, when did this search happen? How did it happen? Who's doing the searching that I think... I don't know if we're going to get any answers or anything near answers about that but it seems like that could like it seemed like that was some of what jesse was tuning into there because he very much notes he's like i feel like i'm missing something very obvious yeah and i did you have any thoughts about what he might be missing because it like obviously the joke there is that it's tulip being in trouble because right, that's, yeah. that's how cassidy that's plays cassidy it says, but, yeah. but the idea that jesse is actually missing like a piece of the puzzle that's right in front of his face like why is it all new orleans like they seem to be on the right track somehow right uh i'm sure there is more to it yeah i'm looking forward to knowing what it is yeah i mean there is there weren't a lot of references here to the stuff they've referenced in the previous episodes regarding like the the things that have caught jesse's attention regarding his past but i mean he he does have he has some personal he's got his ties and uh i don't know that it necessarily is going to overlap with why uh god the the powers of heaven are are so focused on the area but i mean uh i think new orleans is frequently tied to the idea of of the supernatural and the spirit world and like i said there's an arc later in the book that takes place around there um, that's pretty important to Cassidy. So maybe they just kind of are consolidating some stories into the New Orleans area. They're saying we've got this cool setting, but uh, it 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 makes sense. Like it fits. Yeah. I mean, even True Detective season one is in the it's in Louisiana, right? Yeah. It's in uh, the Bayou. Yep. Yep. And there's some supernaturally over overlap, kind of. Mm-hmm. So uh, even uh, one of the episodes of Constantine I watched, I think it was Constantine, 
took place in New Orleans, and it was pretty cool. It wasn't a bad show. It wasn't great, but yeah, it's okay. There was one. There was a scene. That I think maybe it was the opening. Scene. I could be wrong. It could have been Supernatural or something. But there was like an opening scene that was really cool, and it was clearly like in New Orleans, and it like just it just fits. You know what I mean? Like yeah, even. Uh, Oh no, I'm wrong. That's something else. Never mind. You can move on. Yeah, the, yeah. The, it, there's something mystical about New Orleans. Yes, it's got that. And I think everyone's kind of aware energy. of that. It kind of in the way you said people know the look of New Orleans. You would be too skeptical if it was a set. Yeah. Uh, people know that it has kind of this otherworldly vibe to it, mm-hmm. and it still maintains it. It's not something that's kind of gone away. Like no. uh, as people get as as the world becomes more technologically oriented, uh, that hasn't necessarily diminished. Yeah. All right, and then finally, Act 5, uh, we see Eugene giving in and starting to act accordingly in hell when Tyler starts beating Hitler, and after he steps in on Eugene's behalf, Cassidy breaks down and tells Jesse that Tulip is in trouble, causing Jesse to track her down and use Genesis to find his way to her. We find out as Jesse chokes Victor that Victor is Tulip's husband, and also that the Saint of Killers is on his way, and he's very close, seemingly just across the bridge from downtown New Orleans. So, um, <clears throat> Jesse's fight with Pat. Awesome. Pretty good. Also very good. good. The idea that Pat can't hear the word and therefore is unaffected by it. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. How did he know to do that was my only question. And that's the thing to me is that maybe he didn't necessarily know to do it. He's well, kind of seen throughout the episode of, uh, as wearing those. Like, it seems like music is kind of his thing. Okay, that might be true. But he does make the line of like, I don't know how you did that to those people, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, it seems like an intentional choice to crank it up like that. Because I think if I was going to fight with someone who I didn't know what they were about, I probably would want to have the use of all of my senses in yeah. case somebody else was going to creep up on me kind of thing. And maybe maybe you're right. I didn't really consider that. Um, because I do think, yeah, he did listen to music while he worked, that kind of thing. So that could be it. But, well, and then also, because he knocks Jesse out first. And yeah. then, like, it's almost like he's he had time he to see what's going on right. in the building. Maybe the people could tell him that, they're like, he spoke and I can't do anything about it. So maybe he would know that way, too. Yeah, that might be it. It's, it's a little sloppy, though. It was a little early because somebody else in the in the in the books does that trick pretty much. Yeah. There's actually an even more clever way around the word that someone employs later, which is when I was reading the comics, I was like, Oh my God, that is so good. <laughs> and, uh, th- this felt, it was almost a little bit early and it was not the kind of character I would want to see. Yeah. Find a, find a loophole. Yeah. yeah. And it was something that Jesse didn't necessarily think of, which was cool. Interesting. Was, it, but it was neat to watch that in effect. And the use of uptown girl was really funny. Yeah. I think it cracked me up. It was, it was pretty good. Uh, the fight scene's awesome, though. It reminded me of uh, The World's End. Uh, yeah. Uh, Edgar Wright movie. Yep. Which has fight scenes that feel very similar mm-hmm. in style. but that The one be, in the in the bathroom at yes, the bar. The movie does it better, but it's it's a film. So, obviously, it does pretty much everything better if, if given the opportunity. Was it shot mostly as a oneer? Like, to me, you, you can see there's several spots that are hidden cuts. Yeah. Or potential hidden cuts. Not that they necessarily did use them or not, but... They probably were cuts. They, okay. they seem like the kind of thing where they felt like they were cuts. It, it was it was pretty much from Jesse waking up all the way through to yeah. the stab that was could have potentially been a one or could have been. Didn't. Yeah, they weren't they weren't too clever with hiding their their cut points. Yeah. It's not like True Detective where you were kind of looking and you could find them, but yeah. you were like, I could see how it gave them the opportunity to cut if they had to. Mm-hmm. And this felt like we're gonna cut it here because we need to reset something and Dominic's not going to be able to keep doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. It felt like they, they had always intended to cut at those yeah. places. I would have, it would have been cool to see them a little less, a little more subtle with maybe like if we get it, we get it. Otherwise we can cut. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Like, like using things to wipe the frame, like yep. the body would have been mm-hmm. cool, but I loved the use of the body as like this obstacle. Yeah. It was very, very preacher. Like yeah. in the, the part that actually made me laugh the most is when the arm got hacked off and Jesse uh-huh. has it and he kind of throws it at him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the most preacher moment. I was like, oh, this is very, this is really good. Like I could see that exact thing happening. That's in, awesome. In the book. Yeah. It was an awesome scene. I think I, so far we've had really two 
two really great fight scenes in this season. I mm-hmm. think I liked the one against the dudes in the van better. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. But this one was also super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and having that element of the body as well as all the, just all the shit in the room. All the tools and things. Right. And it was just a cool setting. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It was it, even though it was so gross, like this room covered in blood and. The one thing uh, here's the, there's one technique in uh, in a lot of movies and TV that we see that I think it gets a lot of criticism. It's been getting more criticism lately, and I think it needs to have even more criticism thrown at it because it's kind of boring. Is when characters get knocked out and they're out for like hours. Yeah, which is impossible in real life because if that's the case, you're in you're in a coma. Yeah, or you're dead. Like I was doing some reading on this and reading that when people do get clobbered with like the butt of a gun or you knock someone out with something, they will come back to, they go black, but then they, they will come back to within like probably a minute yeah. or something like that. And using that as a mechanic to advance time, I always think is super boring, especially for someone like Jesse, who's taken a lot of beatings. Like <laughs> the idea that he's out for more than five minutes seems outrageous to me. Yeah. Especially because he's got this otherworldly being inside of him. I feel like, it's happened a lot in this show already and I'm getting really tired of it. Like just, well, and I don't necessarily know that he like it very much could just be that he was only out for a little while. He could have only been out for a few seconds and there are other factors like Jesse hasn't really been eating or sleeping very much. So, but I'm just, it's something that my attention gets called to more and more and more and more as films progress. And some, some movies and, and TV shows are really good about like a character getting knocked out and then they're coming back a few things. Like I, there was one movie, it might've been like prisoners or something like that where it happened and it was really realistic feeling and how they, they were just stunned yeah. and they came to and they, you know, a little bit of like double vision and stuff like that. I totally get Cause I'm like, yeah, that would totally happen. I get that. But like when people get like, like when John McClane just gets like a shotgun butt to the head and then he wakes up like eight hours later and it's <laughs> yeah. nighttime. I'm like, no, you have brain damage now. <laughs> like that just doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's, it's an, it's an, it's a trope of like eighties, you know, we see that kind of stuff all the time and it's mm-hmm. more forgivable. But now I'm like, we can be a little more sophisticated. I think we can come up with reasons like, why don't we just drug him? You know, yep. like, why didn't that guy just come around the corner and just chloroform him and knock him out? Mm-hmm. But then you probably would be out for hours and then what's he doing? Interviewing everybody in the house. <laughs> what happened? So I get it. It's just a little a little detail that starts to that I start to nitpick. Yeah, and the show's done it a few times now, and I feel like I'm kind of like, oh, okay, that's fair. Let's move on from this from this idea that you know, like, how do we end the scene? We'll just knock him out, and he wakes up two hours later, tied yeah. up, totally tied up, and unable to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it, it was it was a good scene, but yeah, I, I get that. I I can I can. Uh, Second year, you're nitpick. I'm just nitpicking, which, yeah, is, which no. is a good problem to have. Um, and I will say, for anybody that wasn't necessarily aware of the cuts, uh, if, if you're not looking for it the way that we maybe do, just the idea that like anytime the screen goes to black because they zoom in close or they, they get in real close behind Jesse or the body, those kinds of things, that's where they would potentially cut to another filming of that scene. So... Just in case anybody wasn't necessarily aware of that. But um, other than that, uh, Jesse choking out Victor. Obviously, we'll talk about that more next week because there's going to be more to that going on. Not much else to say. Clearly, he's not happy that that Tulip's been married. Um, But then finally, uh, the Saint of Killers walking across the bridge. He's on his way. I really liked that because I remember last week. That's exactly what I said, <laughs> how I wanted to see episodes end. It was like the progress of the scene. And he even like pauses for a second as if like his radio signals coming in. Yeah. Like, where is he now? Okay. Oh, you know what I mean? Like almost yep. he like he's changed location. He's now five degrees over from where I was. You know what I mean? Yep. I feel like the saint in the books would probably just walk through the ocean. You know what I mean? He wouldn't necessarily <laughs> take a bridge. He yeah. would just go through the water, yep. walk all the way down to the bottom like Pirates of the Caribbean. Just, just direct, straight line. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I kind of like I kinda like that idea that the saint literally makes a beeline <laughs> and like whatever's in his way, he's just going to walk through it. But it, it, the, the shot... buildings behind him. Yeah, the <laughs> shot of the bridge was so cool. Yeah. And I just like... I like that he's got that big cavalry sword with him. It's a really cool touch. Would that shot be... Would that be done with a drone? Do you think that was a drone? Might have been. Or... Uh, there could have been some digital trickery. In no, there it, too, it could have been a drone. It might have been a helicopter. Okay. I mean, yeah, traditionally, that's, that's how you would do it. And it just seems like it was in real close on him, and then it also got really far away. It probably too, was a so drone. Could, yeah, because you can you can mount 
all kinds of stuff on drones. So yeah, yeah it was probably a probably a drone shot. Yeah, but it was uh, it was very very cool. I liked uh, I liked the kind of pause for a second when he gets when he's walking and he kind of slows down, kind of like well, oh, yeah, oh yeah, easier. Yeah, two clicks that way, kind of thing. Yeah, it's cool that he's in the city limits now. Yep. Yeah. Pretty scary. Shit's gonna hit the fan. He's coming. Yeah, the next episode ought to be pretty explosive. <laughs> I'm ex- I'm imagining already some kind of like shootout in in Victor's, Victor's place. Palace. Yeah, right yeah. when everything comes to a head, and then the just like in the books, man, he shows up at the most, at like the best worst times, <laughs> like just when just when things couldn't get worse. Yeah, you see his silhouette, and you're like, oh, he's, he's right there, and then everyone turns and goes like, what the hell is that? Because the way he's dressed, it yep. it literally like there's these like incredibly tense moments in the books and everyone will drop what they're doing to look at him because he's so like what the? and then like is this guy joking it's almost like in the terminator when when he shows up in the first scene and he's just naked and they mm-hmm. all stop and they're like laughing even though like i'd already be running the other way <laughs> like, that guy clearly means business yeah yeah uh any other thoughts on this episode you said it was it's it's your least favorite of the series so far i i don't i i can't disagree with that it's not it wasn't well, particularly spectacular, but we did get some good moments out it's, of it. It's definitely a bit of a lull for the season. The yeah. season's been moving along at a really good rate where we're, we're getting some things answered. We're, mo- we're moving into a new place. It feels like a nice, steady, like, pedal of the bike yeah. towards the end. And this one kind of felt like we were kind of coasting on some previous momentum, which yeah. isn't necessarily bad. And, again, we are, I think, as, as, a, as a people and a, a uh, story-consuming people, we're getting really used to the binge model mm-hmm. where we don't necessarily feel these ups and downs so much anymore. And I think that maybe 10 years ago, if we were talking about this, I wouldn't feel quite the same. And I try to not binge so much anymore. Like I try to space stuff out because sometimes having that room to breathe between episodes actually makes the show better mm-hmm. and helps it sink in a little more. Yeah. We've talked about this on the other show yep. with uh, Daredevil and stuff. And you watch 13 episodes of Daredevil in three days and you can't remember the middle four episodes. And like, <laughs> what happened? Because it, your brain just stops eventually. Yeah. You're like, ugh, like I, I need to stop and let it breathe a little bit and let, let my memory work <laughs> as as it's intended. Yeah. So I think that maybe it's it's just a, a sort of side effect of that. Because like I said, I have been watching American Horror Story at, at the same time. And, uh, well, you know, I'll watch like two or three episodes at a time and you can, you can, get through a lot more and yeah. something that may not have been satisfying you like just click play and then you're already into another facet of it yeah so. this is one of those ones this is one of those episodes that would have faded away if you had watched it yes. sandwiched between which which uh and there's a lot of there's a lot of details in this that are really good so yeah. i'm glad that we're not binging binging it and like it's funny that so your brother john who was on our season one from time to time uh he loves binging yeah everything whenever possible and it was fun listening back to some of our i listened to i think our two final episodes of season one and it was fun listening to him say how he would wait for like three or four episodes to build up and then just watch them all chunk through them all yeah exactly and that's just how he likes to watch them which i get like it's, yeah if you have the opportunity why not yeah i think the first show i ever did that with was lost season one when it came out on dvd and i remember my brother and i would stay up way too late because we'd start <laughs> one and then we'd watch another and then like we would have to ride out a DVD basically. Like if, yeah. if we had started a fresh D- God help us because yep. it would be two in the morning. We'd both have class the next day and we'd be like, it was just, but it was part of the beauty of that show. The way that, that, that lost title would just pop up and we weren't feeling it. You weren't expecting it. And that was the signal at the end of the episode. And you would just like literally like, because <gasps> <laughs> yeah. you were on the edge of your seat, especially that, was, that first season. That was uh, very much how I experienced. My mom convinced me to start watching 24 on uh, like season five. Oh yeah, and so yeah, then, when the timer jumps in, then we went back and watched on DVD from season one all the way through four, and that type that show is it like it if you're watching it in basically real time, yeah, it seems like it's meant to be consumed that way. Yeah, oh for so sure, and you'll be you know, you'll be so into it, and then that timer jumps up at the end to yep. tell you it's the end of the episode, like, and oh. you do the same thing, you go, <gasps> and you come up for air, and you're just like, oh god, yep. I have to watch another one right now. Yep. Yeah, it's. And I didn't feel that way at the end of this episode, whereas there, I think there have been other episodes where I've been like, I cannot wait to see what happens next. Yeah. I think one thing that, though, if, if take another quick second, that we are missing in this season is the Odin Kincannon. Mm-hmm. We had this like very clear force of opposition with a face and a name who was actively 
The closest thing we have to that is the saint, I think. Which also reminds me, I was thinking about hell, and I was like, if Odin shows up, <laughs> I am going to lose my shit because it'll be so awesome. That would be pretty good. Even if it's just in a scene, if he's like in the hall and he like sees sees our face or sees Eugene and he and Tyler are buddies or something, just a cameo, <laughs> uh, I will I will be so enthralled because that'd be pretty it's good. Just great. I probably shouldn't have said anything. No, hey, you know what? We'll see. We'll no, see no, I, now I just want it. Now so it's bad. on the scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. people will know if, if if you if you were clairvoyant enough to. Uh, it would just be see. great. I don't think they'll do it. There's no reason to. They they leave things so well with him, but it would just be really cool to see him down. There. I feel like Jackie Earl Haley would be down to to come back and, just and you know like, he would have a little gang of lackeys that yeah. follow him in the hallways he's like king bully tyler works for him kind of thing he's got his little soapbox and he's the kind of guy yeah we're like clearly hitler is not his reputation does not mean as much down there because he's people this like punk who's like 19 is is not afraid <laughs> to get in his face hitler, yeah. but odin <laughs> would walk right up to him and he would back down and it would yeah. be it would be great yep yeah, uh, we're about 30% of the way through the season at this point. This is episode four. I think there's 13 there total. 13, yeah. So it's it, it seems weird that, not weird, but it it feels a little discouraging to have an episode in a season that's only 13 episodes long that just kind of doesn't, feels like you're treading water a little bit. It but. does, yeah, exactly. So. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast. Share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Please talk to us. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think of this season of Preacher. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread and it is being used on our non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings us. But until then, go forth and speak the good word.